Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about pesticide safety and taking your calls and questions throughout the hour. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also, uh, getting emails in throughout the week and uh, get a number of emails we're going to get through today. Uh, our inbox is radio at agphd.com. And you can find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Brian, uh, speak about Twitter. I had somebody a couple years back say, man, how are you able to get the handle Darren Hefty on Twitter? And I just laughed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You think think anybody would want to hijack that name and and try to have some sort of fake account out there? Definitely not. But anyway, uh, to the to the topic at hand, pesticide safety. This is one we talk about a lot to non farmers, but we talk to farmers as well. And whether you farm or you don't farm, it's something that you should be interested in. What products are getting used? What is the safety rating like? Is your food safe? Is it safe to be on farms? Is it safe to uh, do weed control options that we're talking about? Those kinds of things. And it, it ends up being a pretty big topic. We've Brian and I you know, both grew up on the farm, of course, and, and still farm today, but uh, definitely a lot of our friends did not. I know a lot of our high school classmates coming from a small, you know, small little town in South Dakota. Uh, there's only one other person out of my high school class that's that's involved in farming today. And yeah, so the rest of our class, when we have get togethers, it's all right. Tell us about that. I should say there's two. There's two. I'm sorry. Two other people in my class. But still, it's it's not many. And most people are curious. Yeah, I grew up on a farm or my grandpa farmed or, you know, maybe another generation before that farmed, but haven't really spent much time on the farm since. And, and everybody's hearing all this information and misinformation out there that they kind of want to hear what the straight story is. Well, you started into something saying, tell us about, and then you stopped. And I'm assuming you were going to say something like, tell us about the farm or about farming, whatever. I don't really find that much to be true. What I find is that people jump to conclusions based on what the media is telling them. So they hear these things in the media like Roundup causes cancer, like pesticides are ridiculously dangerous and should all be banned, Uh, GMOs are terrible, all this stuff. I mean, it's all nonsense. So anyway, I, I think people hear that stuff, and it's just like we were talking about yesterday. People get brainwashed. You hear it enough times, even though it's not true, you hear it enough times and you start thinking, well, maybe it is true. No, no, it's not. And that's why that's one of the things that we do spend a lot of time on here at Ag PhD. Anyway, go ahead. Well, certainly we all hear what uh, the prolific uh, Internet presence people put out there. And there's activists on both sides. And I think the majority of people falls somewhere in the middle and oftentimes it's way away from those extremes and i i do feel brand most people just really want to know and they may come into it with the idea that you know what maybe stuff's dangerous but i think most people are fairly open-minded that i talk to anyway that yeah there's a few that absolutely will not change their mind no matter what but most people are pretty open-minded to, all right, let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion here. And yeah, I'm coming into it thinking stuff is not safe that you're doing or farming is not, the term I hear a lot is sustainable, that farming isn't sustainable anymore. 
that kind of thing. And to, to be able to go into those conversations and have people actually listen and, and try to understand, I think is really important. And, and I think it's pretty common. Okay. So I guess we're going to disagree on that one. Cause I do not think that people are asking. I think people are uh, just assuming. And unfortunately people are assuming that things are wrong. Things are bad, that farmers need more regulation. So anyway, we do want to talk today about pesticide safety. So let's start with the number one topic on a lot of people's minds, especially if you watch TV or listen to the radio. You're hearing lawyers advertising, hey, if you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Roundup could have caused that. You, you may never have even sprayed Roundup, but it still could have caused it. I don't know how that's ever going to happen. But anyway, uh, these people are trying to capitalize on the hysteria that's out there and make a bunch of money. So I, I get that. I, I mean, I don't like it. And ultimately, for us as farmers, we're going to pay the bill. In fact, I was just talking to a group of agronomists yesterday and I said, guys, um, I don't know what you're talking to your customers about or what your customers are thinking about, but I said, I'll be honest, on, on my farm, I'm thinking about buying five years worth of glyphosate right now. And they go, what? What are you talking about? And I said, well, just think of all those lawsuits. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. And it's all complete fiction. I mean, every governmental body in the world that does regulatory has proven that Roundup doesn't cause cancer. I mean, it's one of the safer pesticides we even have. It works on an enzyme found only in plants. We don't even have that enzyme as human beings. So how's it going to uh, hurt us? It's not. Now, that's not to say that we want to go drinking it or, you know, take baths in it or anything else. That's not causing cancer. But nevertheless, the company has to fight that all the time. So even if every single court case gets thrown out, ultimately, Bayer has to spend a bunch more money to defend glyphosate. And every manufacturer of glyphosate is going to have to spend money to defend it. So what does that mean for us as farmers? That means the odds are pretty high that the price is going up. So I don't know. It's it's one of the things that I'm thinking about for our operation. And someday glyphosate could be priced out of the market, but it's all driven by this, like I was saying, hysteria and misinformation that's out there. And there's no truth to it. But the problem in our society today is you don't have to have truth to anything. You can sue somebody for anything and then they have to defend themselves. And that's really what's going on here. So anyway, we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, we also talk a lot about what's the lethal dose really for anything. And fortunately for us as Americans, we have this lethal dose information for foods, for pesticides, for really anything that there is. And that's the work of the EPA and the FDA. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit throughout the show too, because always remember the dose makes the poison. So anything is toxic, even water, just good old water is toxic too, if you drink too much of it. So we'll discuss this all throughout the day. If you'd like to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. 
If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoz.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to be talking about pesticide safety on our show, and certainly that impacts a lot of things uh, around the farm. But we're also going to talk about grain markets a little bit. We've got our friend Scott Harms with us right now. Scott, uh, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Darren. Hey, Scott, I got a question for you. So okay. we are in December now, and I'm just kind of curious what what it's looking like overall for harvest. So we, we've seen the harvest numbers, that there's still a lot of crop left out in the field. But what I'm most interested in is how does the market usually react when there's that much crop still sitting in the field? Do they count that as 100%? Do they count it as 90%? Because obviously there's going to be some loss by the time that actually makes it in. Yeah, I mean, um, the, yeah, the numbers came out, 89% harvested in corn, and they're going to count that as 89%, that 11% that's out there, that, uh, what is it, about 1.3 billion bushels of corn that's still technically in the field as of yep. December 1st is yep. out there and it's vulnerable. Um, I think there is going to be a calculation of yield loss. I don't know that they have a model or uh, any historical data that tells them what that number should actually be, so they're yeah. going to have to wait uh, for those results. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of corn that's vulnerable. I think probably more significant um, is, or as significant certainly, is the soybeans. There's less soybeans out there. There's only 4% that's unharvested, yeah. but it's 140 million bushel. And the beans, you know, I think are going to be more vulnerable to that yield loss. There's probably more clear data um, as to uh, yield loss in soybeans and how that can be impacted. And we have you know, a, a, a balance sheet that's trending tighter in soybeans, corn, we don't have the demand, we have a hefty balance sheet, so it's going to be a little less sensitive, but I think the soybean balance sheet could certainly, given especially where prices have gone, uh, could be a little more sensitive to it. So, no, they're going to treat that as um, on-farm stocks. Uh, there is a calculation or a survey going on now for December 1st stocks that will be released uh, when the January numbers come out, January 10th, they'll have December 1st stocks numbers. And uh, that no, those numbers will be considered just like they were stored bushels. 
So there will be an adjustment down the road, whether those bushels get moved off farm or not. But at least as far as those calculations, uh, they'll be considered on-farm storage, and um, you know they'll have to figure out some kind of yield drag. Uh, going forward. But again, I think they're in uncharted territory. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I'm speaking for most farmers out there when we are extremely skeptical over all these numbers. And I, 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 it's not so much that I'm necessarily faulting the government because just like you said, it's kind of uncharted territory there. But talk to us, you mentioned soybeans just a little bit. Talk to us a little more, bit more about the soybean market because that has really struggled of late. Yeah, it's been a rough stretch for soybeans, and you know, I, I, I'm sure it's not going to notice by farmers. It seems like in the trade, it really was kind of a quiet break, uh, part of it because of the holiday uh, time frame. But um, I mean, it was what a fifty cent decline or so, it just in the last uh, fifteen or twenty days. Yep. And uh, I think nine out of ten sessions were lower. So just like in any other pr- any other price move. It's not just one thing. It's a series of things. Uh, the funds have been holding a long position in beans since about the middle of October. And, I, you know, whether they were anticipating a trade deal or whether they just thought inflationary concerns might be there for them and make that position more work in their direction, it, apparently they ran out of patience uh, last month and they bailed out. And, and I think we were in a time frame where there just wasn't a lot of some of the traditional end users that step in and help support markets on breaks. You know, maybe they were, you know, shut down for uh, the holiday or had skeleton crew and weren't able to get their buy programs in place. So I think the market was able to move uh, a little more easier to the down to the downside. We saw the same thing in corn the week of Thanksgiving. Some of these cash contracts came due, whether they be uh, forward contracts or basis contracts. And I think they just came and, and hit a market that didn't have traditional buyers or that good support underneath it. We saw what happened in the corn market last Friday. It rallied nine, nine cents. People came back and said, all right, this is a bargain. But uh, the other thing that's happening in beans is we continue to talk about the currency devaluation in South America, whether it be Argentina or Brazil. Um, their currency continues to decline. That makes it more attractive for whatever export demand there is out there to continue to bypass the U.S. So we're still not getting the kind of demand we need. There's also talk in Argentina that um, because they have a new president, they're going to raise export taxes. It's something that this new administration really wants. So if if you're going, there, there's been a an influx of selling here in the last couple of weeks to get ahead of that by the farmers down there. Uh, so we've seen maybe some artificial selling out of South America. The good news is now that they've sold and their supplies should be shorter, and we've cleaned out some of our cash contracts here um, in the states and some of the farmer sales, there could very well be a vacuum above the market. And if we get the right news, we could a, the market might be able to move higher at a more rapid pace without that traditional selling above it. Yeah, and talking about that, what we're seeing, or at least what I've been seeing across, especially the Midwest, is pretty good basis levels with corn and beans, but there are a lot of people that want to reown that grain. So one of the strategies has to do with calls. Can you maybe explain how calls could play into a farmer reowning and at least having a little bit more upside potential? Yeah, when you buy a call option, you're you're basically participating in the upside. You're reopening the upside, and um, you know they're very popular tools because you're only at risk as to what your initial investment is. So one contract is five thousand bushels. That's how they work: five thousand bushel increments. And uh, you, if you so if you buy an option for ten cents, it's going to cost you five hundred dollars to cover that five thousand bushels. And that five hundred dollars is all you'll have to invest. You won't have to be a margin call for anything else, and you just sit and wait for the market to move higher and participate. 
as the market goes up. You can spend as little or as much as you want, depending on the time frame you want to cover and how close to the market you want to be. Um, you know, and to get started, you just you need to have a commodity account open, and then you with a registered FCM or an IB, and you know, but you know, when, once you get that done, I, I will want to make a couple points because we have had this discussion a lot of late. But so a couple points I want to make with some of the farmers we work with is you want to buy close to the money in this particular case because there, although there, you know, there should be a move higher. We expect a move higher. It's not going to be a massive move higher. We don't have you know, a production, major production issue, unless you combine a lot of things in South America, it becomes a real problem. So you want to stay close to the money. So a 385 call option in, in corn, for example, and maybe a, a $9 call in beans, you want to stay close to the market. So that the market moves up, you're participating aptly on, on that up move. Um, the other thing that you can look at is February call options. We talk about March call options. People want to get a long position until they're long through that January production report comes out January 10th. So there's March options, the traditional options that expire on the 22nd, I think it is, of February. Um, but there are February options. It's a short, you, you pay less in time value. They get you through the end of January. So ultimately what you're saving is you're buying the same strike price. It's based off the March futures, but you're saving about $0.02 cents on corn and about 4 to $0.05 cents on soybeans by by giving up that extra month of coverage. So if your objective is just to get you through a potential sizable cut in January, perhaps the February options can be they can be more affordable and satisfy what you're trying to achieve. Then the final point I want to make is when you buy call options, make sure you set a price objective. Most people you know when you sell when you when you sell cash and you want to buy call options, it's because you maybe didn't sell the cash exactly at your objective. You wanted to try to get fifteen, twenty cents more. Well, when you buy a call option, set your objective at 15 to 20 cents in, in corn or whether it's 50 cents in beans. So make sure that once you have that purchased, you have that sell order in above the market so you're disciplined enough to recognize, all right, this is what I want to achieve is 15 to 20 cents. Because if the market starts rallying, you know, you're going to think, all right, well, I made 15 cents. Maybe I want to make 30. Maybe I want to make 45. The next thing you know... Um, you made you know, nothing. That, that has gone away. You <laughs> right. made nothing. So you need to be disciplined, and when you buy the call option, follow it up right away with setting your price objective above the market. Hey, Scott, real quick, we had a caller call in, Joel, and he was wondering about the funds. I only have about 30 seconds, but do you have any quick comments about the funds and, and what the funds are doing now? Funds are heavily short corn. Uh, they're largely flat soybeans. Uh, they're along a little bit of wheat, I think. Uh you know, I, I I think with the right announcement on the trade side of it, I think you will get reinvestment of fund activity back into the long side of these markets. You maybe get the the funds out of short positions in corn. We're getting into month end. It's an opportunity for them to lighten the load. I would look for them to maybe cut things in half by the end of the year. That could present maybe a 15 or so cent rally in corn. But overall, they're waiting on the sidelines for this trade deal like everyone else. Yeah. All right, well, we've been talking to Scott Harms. He's with Archer Financial Services and Grain PhD. If you've got questions for him, just go to grainphd.com. Scott, thanks for the time today. Have a great day. You bet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operations. 
See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Every flood begins with a raindrop. Every drought was once a sunny day. Every plague of insects grew from a couple of eggs, and every hurricane from a breeze. Our biggest problems start small, but what if the biggest solutions do too? At Indigo, we're using the natural microbes found on plants that survive droughts to help other plants survive them too. Visit indigoag.com grow to learn more. Indigo, from questions we grow. back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today we're talking about pesticide safety a little bit but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD let's head down to tennessee we got scott with us right now scott how's it going uh it's doing okay um i just had a question um uh, on how long roundup uh is stay stable you know if a guy bought it first if can, will it stay stable for several years? or? Yeah, it will. And I'm sure, Scott, your question is coming from my comments earlier in the show where I just said, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm serious too. I'm tempted to buy glyphosate for the next few years. I don't know if that will be the right move or not, but I, just using my head, I have to assume they're going to raise the price of glyphosate at some point. But anyway, um, yes, it will well, store for a long time. Is, uh, okay. I, I, I would just say... We like to keep it in heated storage, though. What ends up happening, if you go through freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw, you may get some little what we call floaters in there, and it has to do with some of the inert ingredients with really any glyphosate and, and almost any herbicide. This can happen. Some of the inert ingredients sometimes 
will uh, float to the top and, and you might have to screen it if you're keeping it through a freeze-thaw many times. But just maybe one time through a freeze-thaw, or especially if you haven't heated storage, I mean, you can keep it for years. Well, the nice thing about Tennessee is is we don't have that much really cold weather. <laughs> right. But uh, the big thing I've got is is uh, is the co-op. Our co-op. He bought some wrong. He brought the wrong containers of it. Uh, you know, he's got some 200 galloners that that don't have a pump on top that you got to connect to and everything. And yep. So he hasn't been able to get rid of them. And and I was like, hey, you know what? I think I could figure out some way to do it if he could give me a really good deal. And <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you know, it actually could be going up, so I could actually get it really cheap, you know, right now and save on that too. I just wanted to make sure on the on the storage time. Yes. And uh, I do have a place where you know where it's a little better. You know, it's kind of protected a little bit and doesn't get as hot. You know, doesn't right. freeze. So um, yep. So so it would keep for several years. Okay. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. We uh, have we have done that. It's worked fine. One, I, for one, am not afraid of Roundup. Okay, I I guarantee it. I, I don't believe it causes cancer. I mean, I've I've seen uh, you know re- results of it. As soon as it hits the ground, it hits dirt, it breaks down into components. I mean, it doesn't even you know it won't even work if you mix it with dirty water. That's right. So uh, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so it's that is one of the safest things, and it works on I don't know ninety. 95, 96% of the stuff I eat, well, 98% probably, there's only a couple things that it doesn't, doesn't, uh, work on. So <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know not, what I'd do without it. I so. know it's nice. It works pretty well. It's very inexpensive. Yep. I know we got some resistant weeds out there, but boy, for two, $3 an acre, it's pretty, pretty good to throw in and control most of the weeds. And then you throw something else in to control the, the roundup resistant weeds and you're in pretty good shape. So I'm with you. Yep. So anyway, that's what, that was what I was wanting to know. So thanks. You bet. Thanks for the call, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah, that is something, Brian. We do get a lot of questions uh, around uh, what if I have pesticides left over at the end of the year? And certainly um, storage questions are one thing. Safety questions are also important, too. Uh, we've got Maria Turner with us right now, uh, pesticide safety educator with the University of Illinois. Maria, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I really you, appreciate it. You get a lot of questions throughout the season, I'm sure, about pesticide safety. What are what are some of the questions you get from farmers about this topic? Sure, there is a lot of we do get a lot of questions on pesticide safety. Um, as a matter of fact, like the gentleman was talking about just before, even that recycling the containers or even disposing of the old pesticides, those are two big concerns that we get a lot of calls on. Um, another one this year was actually the storage of treated seeds because we had such a late planting, but treat, seeds were already treated with soybean, you know, for the soybeans. Um, you know, trying to address some of that concern and what to do with those. Um, soybeans. And then um, a couple of other things like uh, people will call and ask about different types of PPE um, that they need to wear according to, even though the la- it says on the label there is some misunderstanding as to what um, what they should use or what they shouldn't use. Um, we'll get some calls from the general public as well, not necessarily, um, you know, as an applicator is applied to pesticide, they'll want to know how soon they can come in. Um, or if there was an accidental uh, drift onto a hay field, you know, how soon can they cut the hay and that type of thing. So those are some of the questions. And, of course, you know, being um, 
on the the end of teaching for the certification and the licenses, we get a ton of questions, you know, what license do I need to have to apply certain pesticides? So so nope. there's some of the questions that we got that we get here um, in the office and that we try to address when we're out um, doing our clinics. How about from the general public, Maria? Do you get a lot of feedback on pesticide safety from non-farmers? Sure. Um, yeah, yes, we do. There, There's definitely been some concerns. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole thing about the Roundup or the glyphosate issues. But I don't, do I don't get... blame you for that, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I think we've heard enough about else. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that one <laughs> away. I can point people to resources, but I don't really like to address that concern. But um, I guess some of the things with the dicamba, Illinois ended up having the highest amount of dicamba um, drift issues this year. And so that that was one of the concerns that we got from general public. You know, um, it, it came across onto a garden. What do I do? Um, those types of things um, that we got. Um, washing, um, even washing pe- um personal protective equipment and, um, you know, what do I do with my home chemicals and uh, what kind of PPE. We get a lot of similar questions from um, home homeowners as well, you know, or general public, you know, as far as using uh, pesticides. And then we did a huge um, campaign with our agronomy day this year on um, storing pesticides, making sure that they're kept in original containers, um, you know, with Paraquat being such a, Toxic pesticide, you know, that one sip will kill. I'm really trying to emphasize with folks to leave things in the original container and not um, moving them into a food container. So things like that that um, we address and talk with um, general public as well as with farmers. Yeah, there are lots of, of little tips like that. And that last one that you had, just keeping stuff in original containers, I I can't tell you how many times I've been on somebody's farm that they've put motor oil in a smaller container or mm-hmm. something, you know, something goofy like that. And to mm-hmm. think about pesticides where, gosh, if you forget what you put in that container, uh, that, that could have really bad consequences if you spray out the wrong product or something like that. Um, oh, you know, absolutely. We think about all the training that farmers go through, and it's it's something that's definitely stepped up uh, in in recent years. Um, is there anything that that you'd say uh, uh, just having having done this for more than a year? I mean, you've certainly seen changes going on through the industry. I, I would assume most of them are for for the good. De- definitely, I think um, even with the additional paraquat training, you know, it, making it more specific to some products, you know, to to keep up that level of safety and understanding and education with that. Even with, you know, with the dicamba, we now have the annual certificate or annual training along with um, using dicamba along with being a, a certified applicator. And so, I think that the education um, helps with. Um, with understanding a product better and utilizing it. Yeah, I think I think so too. And, you know, you think about a product like dicamba, well, we've had that active ingredient out for 
gosh, almost as long as I've been alive, yeah, but still yeah. getting a getting an update, the 40s. <laughs> getting an update and a refresher on some of these different products is is really good for guys because we're, hey, we're spraying stuff uh, during the summer and then we go six months or more without. So it's it's kind of nice to hear that again, and we really appreciate the work uh, that you're doing, Maria, and uh, that others in this industry are doing to to keep everybody educated and safe out in the field. Been talking with Maria Turner, pesticide safety educator with the University of Illinois. Thanks, Maria. I really appreciate having you on. Thanks. No problem. Have a good one. Yep, you too. Talking about pesticide safety on our show today, also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back after this. There's a new authority in town. New Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines the best-in-class Group 14 PPO herbicide with the newest Group 15 herbicide for lasting residual control of water hemp, palmer amaranth, kochia, pigweed, and other tough, resistant weeds. This exclusive liquid premix of single-application chemistries protects your soybeans from pre-plant to harvest. It also protects your bottom line. Authority Supreme Herbicide qualifies for the agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Rule your soybean fields with more authority than ever before with Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC. More powerful preventative control isn't on the horizon, it's here. Visit your FMC retailer or fmccrop.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. Authority Supreme Herbicide is not registered for sale or use in California. FMC and Authority are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit HeadsUpST.com. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. 
Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Talking pesticide safety on today's Ag PhD radio show and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Ohio. We've got Mark Lauchs with us right now with Ohio State. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. You know, not everybody wants to talk about pesticide safety, and I, I don't understand why, because we've actually got a pretty decent story here. We've gotten rid of a lot of those harsh products that we used uh, 30 years ago, and new products coming out, for the most part, have got pretty good safety records. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's right. Anything that comes out now has, you know, EPA standards and, uh, you know, specifications have have gotten more stringent over the years. So we have a bunch of products that have gone through re-registration. I think it has to happen every five years, if I remember right. So they have to, you know, come up with a current data package and then anything new, you know, has to meet, you know, those specifications. And that's one of the reasons it's, I think, so hard to find new herbicides and new herbicide sites of action right now is just there's so many different parameters that new products have to meet to be registered. You know, as, as we've taken on this topic today, a lot of a lot of the thoughts have been around human safety, and certainly uh, the the products are, are getting much better in that regard. You, you definitely have to be careful. The dose always makes the poison. So if you're swimming in a whole bunch of chemical, well, that's a whole different than uh, if a, a droplet of a spray mixture lands on you or something like that. But when, when we're looking at crop safety, uh, that's that's kind of a little different topic in terms of how safe some of these pesticides are and and how to use them. When you, when you look at crop safety over the years, what what kind of topics do you bring up around pesticides with farmers? Well, it's been kind of interesting because you know we have a lot of systems now that we don't have any crop injury. You know, I mean, if you go back pre Roundup Ready, people got used to I think banging up their beans pretty well. Um, the issues back then with you know, were, were that, you know, with certain products and beans. And then in corn, we've also always had some issues with dicamba. You know, at certain times, we had issues um, with, you know, um, site 15 herbicides and tall corn and acetylcor, and they have safeners in them now. So there were some of those issues. And then we developed Roundup Ready and, like, the Liberty Link and the Extend and the Enlist, which are all really safe. And so we, we had this period when we really didn't have a lot of it, especially in beans. And even some of the dicamba products got safened in corn, so some of that, um, got, you know, uh, abated there. And then we sort of came back to having to put other products back in. And it was kind of an interesting transition back to, oh, I need to put, you know, Flexstar or one of the other promesifin products in or Cobra. And isn't that going to hurt my beans? And isn't that going to reduce yield? Yeah, you know, we've had we've had so many questions about that of of soybeans. They like a little bit of stress in a lot of cases, and it seems like they turn out pretty well as long as you you get some decent weather afterwards. But this whole weed resistance topic has has changed it a little bit now. Where I've talked to farmers that say, "Well, I, I know I'm probably going to have to burn my beans some just to kill some of these tough weeds." Yeah, and I think the good news is we did enough yield studies with those products. Um, it's, it's actually really hard, I think, to reduce yield with them in spite of some of the burn that you get. My biggest concern based on the research we did was late planted beans that are small, um, fairly late, and you bang them up and they don't have enough time to recover, especially if you have an adverse environment after that. I think with an early planting, you know, beans can really tolerate 
um, a lot of that uh, pretty well. So that that was sort of my conclusion. So I tell people, just go ahead. You're going to have to control the weed, so you're going to have to kind of swallow it and take some of this injury, you know. And then within that, you can choose a range of adjuvants to that you know are more aggressive or less, as long as you're getting weed control that can maybe minimize your injury somewhat. You know, as more dicamba products have been used later in the season and on different crops, like especially uh, on extend soybeans, uh, there certainly can be a little bit of drift into neighboring fields, and in some cases it's worse than that too. Uh, But what are your rules of thumb when you're looking at fields like that of, is this going to amount to a yield loss or is this not a thing we need to worry about? Pre-flowering, they actually tolerate more than they do post-flowering. So, you know, one of the things you're looking at first is are they flowering? Um, I I, I think, you know, what what saved us a little bit really, as you just alluded to in the whole dicamba thing, is beans actually recover pretty well and most of the time don't have a yield loss. And then there are other cases where they certainly have. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit unpredictable. Again, environment is part of that where you, if you're going to, if you're going to injure beans from that, even, even pre-flower, you, you don't want an extended period of dry weather. Um, but, uh, you know, it's actually amazing pre, um, you know, the extent I'd have insurance adjusters call me, people like that, you know, talking about dicamba injury and I'd say, okay, we'll just take it to yield, you know, try to get a comparison to an unaffected part of the field or whatever. And then, you know, give me a call back or whatever. And I never got calls back. So I, you know, I think a lot of that really did recover well, but the late season stuff is, is certainly more of a concern. You know, Mark, there's there's a lot of uh, different things that go into spraying, and, and we mentioned one particular product and drift and those types of things. What other issues do you worry about with farmers and, and dealing with their neighbors and crop rotations, those types of things? Um, you know, I, you know, we certain crop rotations, we certainly have carryover issues, and again, you with certain products, you you uh, have to be aware of kind of where your risk factors are. You know, for example, going back to FlexStar, it's a great product for helping control water hemp if you don't have resistance to it yet. But, you know, we know past a certain point in the season, um, you don't really want to be probably using it. You switch switch to Cobra, you know, and not make two applications of it. You know, um, you know, I, I think I get more concerned about um, certain situations where we know pH has an issue, but it can be some of the later applications. Like this year was an example where we got to the point we always recommend residuals, right? And I and I think I even put in a newsletter article this year as we got later and later because of the rain. I think there's a point here where we don't want to use residuals because um, we've gone through our peak weed, weed emergence and we start to get concerned about carryover of, of certain of them. The neighbor issue, I think, is an interesting one because, you know, what's happened with the dicamba thing with neighbors is, I, you know, I've had calls from people saying, do I have any options here besides to report them to you know, the Department of Ag, you know, I don't really want to do that because I have to live and work with these people and coexist, you know, and um, the other thing I heard was, well, we've always banged each other's beans up and there's a little bit this year and a little bit next year, but, you know, this situation is surpassing that and I'm not comfortable with it. You know, one other one other question that I've got for you, Mark, is we're seeing other countries are, are trying to move away from pesticides and trying to find natural type solutions. Do you see more of the the biological or, or natural type solutions finding a, a fit in weed control, or are they more for for other things? Uh, I'm going to be a pessimist here <laughs> and say. Um, 
when you look at how broad spectrum are the products are and the way that we we treat weeds in in uh, commercial agriculture, you know, the amount of acreage we can cover with a product or a mix of products that controls everything in the field or almost everything. One of the issues with biologicals is they're very uh, species specific. And so um, that's one of the issues of you know, do, having some uh, biological or the possibility that could be broad enough to do what we're accomplishing um, with herbicides. And then you also have the issues always with biologicals of um, keeping them active as they're sprayed. You know, it could be one thing to do a lab test or a greenhouse test and another thing to put it in a sprayer and actually have the biological still, um, you know, optimally surviving um, to do what it needs to do. So I, I, I know I sound pessimistic and I would hope somebody would prove me wrong, but that's sort of my view on it for weed control and commercial agriculture anyway. Yeah, I just wish we had something like uh, corn stalk borers or uh, corn rootworm or something like that that we could turn loose on mare's tail and uh, pigweed and some of these weeds that could just go out and destroy those things so they were easier for us to get under control. But uh, I guess we just have to, to keep going at it with uh, with hard chemistries and a, and a multi-pass program to, to stop them. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, the problem with the borers, like we, we, uh, when we first developed glyphosate resistance in giant ragweed, the borer um, that was in the stem, because they were, everybody was treating it too late. And so the borer made control worse before we even had resistance and probably contributed to it. So if you had a borer that killed the giant ragweed, it'd be one thing, but what it did get is get in there and just mess us up even worse. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, we've been talking with Mark Laux with Ohio State. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, we're talking pesticide safety today. Hopefully we gave you a little food for thought and maybe get a conversation started uh, with with you and, and some of the other folks you know. We're also going to dig into some of the agronomic questions that we've had coming in in the Ag PhD Radio mailbag coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. 
The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about pesticide safety and certainly a lot of things uh, on my mind as, as we bring up this topic. I start thinking about some of the key products with really good safety ratings and, and just how some of these new products are developed. That's generally where I start, Brian, when I'm talking with non-farmers. They say, well, what are you using on the farm and, and where do these things come from? Because when you hear the term pesticide, it's pretty scary and a lot of people are really nervous about it. What they don't realize, though, is some of the natural sources or at least uh, where where some of these things began, and then obviously they're they're making synthetic versions of them, trying to uh, to mimic what's going on in nature. I think about even like fungicides that get used and are developed uh, like. Um, some of the main ones we use in corn and soybeans developed from wood rotting fungus out in uh, nature, you know, that, oh, wow, this one works and it fights off other diseases. That was kind of interesting. And then all of a sudden, hey, you find that and crops that can be used to also fight off other diseases. So I like when we have kind of more of a natural approach to, to some things or at least based off of what happens in nature. Well, yeah, but I mean, a lot of these pesticides, like you say, they are from nature. And so that's the great thing that really excites me moving forward is, well, I'll just give you a couple of examples too. Um, Well, here, let me me just step back for a second. I I think where, where people get very concerned about these pesticides, it's just when you hear the word pesticide, literally pesticide, what are you immediately thinking? And, and what, 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 right in the, the name, it's to kill pests. <laughs> so as soon as you hear something's supposed to kill something, you're like, yeah, I, that makes me nervous. And I'm glad that it does. I, I mean, but what I often say is there's no pesticide we use on our farm that's even half as dangerous as many of the household cleaners that are right below my kitchen sink and your kitchen sink right now today. And I think that we get lulled into sleep uh, because it's it's a household thing. And, oh, it's not that dangerous. Uh, just like my example all the time is gasoline. Okay, you go pump gasoline in your car. Do you put on personal protective equipment before you do that? 
Probably not. I pull up to gas stations all the time. I never see people in full personal protective gear, which they should wear. Because, let's face it, in gasoline, there is a proven cancer causer. Yet Americans pump gasoline in their car every single day. We aren't banning gasoline, but that's proven to kill us. It's a proven cancer causer because of the benzene in there. And by the way, xylene that's in there, that's terrible for you too. We don't have that in, in these pesticides that we're talking about. What we're talking about with pesticides is stuff that's uh, probably 50,000 times safer than gasoline in some cases. And yet, oh my goodness, it's a pesticide, so it's got to be bad. Again, the dose makes the poison. With gasoline, if you drink maybe uh, two to four ounces, you're dead. With a lot of these pesticides, it's literally gallons. Honestly, with water, too. You might not realize this, but I'm trying to think of what. In fact, I've got that on water here. I'll tell you what the lethal dose for water is. Uh, For a a 200-pound person, which I am, it's 18 pounds. How much does a gallon weigh? 8.3. Yeah. So uh, about two and a half gallons of water, that's the lethal dose. You might not have known that. <laughs> you might just think, oh, water, got to drink it. And you hear, oh, got to drink water, got to drink water. Yep, you do. But you know what? Two and a half gallons. If you drink okay. it in one sitting, that's got a 50% chance of killing you. Okay. So uh, I've talked to a lot of people concerned about health that their focus is drinking a gallon of water throughout the day. Yep. So what you're saying is we're playing with fire there. we got to be really cautious. Well, again, the dose makes the poison. Just like caffeine. Did you know that it takes... 15 times more atrazine to kill you than it does caffeine. Yet, if they found atrazine in the water and caffeine in the water, what? where would the story be? The story would, of course, be on atrazine, but caffeine is far more toxic. And you want to take it a step further, nicotine, way, way, way worse, and vitamin D is one of the most toxic substances we have. Yet, if you've gone to your doctor lately, he might have told you to take vitamin D. If you overdo it, though, you're dead. So we got to put all these things into perspective. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist or anything else because, yes, I'm going to probably drink some caffeine. I might take some vitamin D uh, and even table salt, water. I mean, all these things can kill you if you take the wrong dose. So it's just like we always say. You have to do things in moderation. And when you do, things are going to be fine. So Roundup doesn't cause cancer. Most of our pesticides today are actually extremely safe to human beings. But nevertheless, we always want to use caution because if you overdo anything, it could potentially be bad for you. Uh, I guess the last thing that I wanted to bring up is we had this, we had some statistics that we put out a couple of years ago. And it started with this. Did you know that motor vehicles each year here in the United States kill about 37,000 people? 37,000. Yet nobody is suggesting we ban motor vehicles. Did you know that falling out of bed kills about 450 people a year? Yet we don't see people wanting to ban beds. Ladders kill 355. Bee stings 100. Hot water 100. Lightning strikes 50. Dogs 34. Icicles 15. And believe it or not, vending machines on average kill two people per year in the United States. That is two people more than what GMOs kill. GMOs have never killed anyone in the history of the world. So when we talk about Oh, let's ban GMOs. Get real. 
Okay, with a lot of these GMO things, it's just biotechnology. And by having that, it's giving us a better and safer food supply and a more abundant food supply. Don't ever forget that here in the United States, uh, and also I could say about the same thing for Canada as well, we have a, a ridiculously safe and healthy food supply and an incredibly abundant food supply. In the United States, we often uh, brag as farmers, we have the most abundant food supply in the world, which, by the way, is the cheapest. So what does that tell you about the American farmer? And I can say about the same thing for the Canadian farmer, too. We are doing fantastic work here in North America, and I think it often goes unnoticed. All right. Anything else you got there, Darren? Nope. I just want to jump into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Got two questions from Mike. He farms down in northeast Brazil. And he said, got a couple things for you. First of all, we've had a terrible problem with root knot and lesion nematodes. Counter 15G has just become available in our area now, and I'm going to try to use it here. I'm wondering, would it be better in furrow or in a T-band? Uh... I don't think you're going to see a tremendous amount of difference. If it's me, I would probably put it in furrow. And the number one reason is safety. I don't want that on the surface of the soil. I want it down in the ground. I don't think you'll see a lot of difference in terms of your nematode control, though. All right. I uh, said I put on five tons of chicken litter, disked it in a couple of months ago. It hasn't rained yet, but the rains will be starting soon. My question is, how much of the nitrogen did I lose with it sitting there so long the temp gets to at least 90 every day? Uh, how much N will I lose? And just for your information, corn is worth 350 a bushel, soybeans 844 a bushel today where I live. So his question was how much nitrogen? How much nitrogen will you lose? He put on chicken litter two months ago, unfortunately. Uh, oh, and he disked it in. He disked it in two months ago. Yeah. But they've got no rain. Yeah. I, as long as it's it's been incorporated, you're going to lose very little of that nitrogen. I'm not that worried about it. So and it's also, 90 degrees every day. You've, you've so tilled what? it in. So you've got, you know, what's underneath the ground you're saying is pretty safe. What's on yep. top of the ground, you're going to lose some of that for sure. But yes. But what's in the ground is fairly safe. So you're not necessarily yeah. losing from the heat. Uh, you're you're no. more likely to lose from excess moisture. Right. I mean, what's what's still laying on the surface of the soil, yes, the heat's going to cause a, a problem, heat and sunlight. But what's down below ground, our biggest concern there is excess moisture. And you just said you're not getting a lot of moisture right now. So once you get that crop in and get that started growing and then you start getting some moisture, well, hopefully your crop is pulling that nitrogen in before it starts leaching away. And what we always talk about with nitrogen, the most important factor is how light is that soil. And, and of course, you, you've got to have the rain to either push it through or, you know, like in our case, we've got really heavy ground and a lot of in a lot of our fields. So even if we have normal rainfall, we don't push it real deep very often. But boy, if we had light soil, and that's our concern many times when we get into South America, uh, if we have really light soil, you can absolutely push it below the root zone very easily with lots of rain. Hey, Mike, thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out our show too. Really appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Coming up next, though, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.